Radio. Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, Your Statistics in Sports Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm a, just some other guy that's here, Corbin Hellier. And that's all you'll ever be. Um, Thanks, Mom. Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to the show today. Uh, we've got on another guest. It's two Monday episodes in a row with guests. You are very welcome, listeners. <laughs> you should feel very grateful. Um, we are joined today by Max Greenfield, uh, Pitchers List. So we'll play that conversation for you in a minute. We talked about some pitch valuation stuff. Uh, we talked about Trevor Bauer. We talked, we complained once again, two weeks in a row, complaining about why MLB um, seemingly can't remove head from ass when it comes to anything that matters. So uh, it's a really good conversation. We're really looking forward to uh, playing it for you. So without further ado, here it is. With Max Greenfield of Pitcherless, right, Max? Is there anything? First off, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yes, that is correct. I I am a writer at Pitcherless. Um, we were I talking. I just want to know that. I just want to get that out of the way immediately. It's a site I live on every single day during the baseball season. Yeah, if you if you All play right, fantasy fanboy, baseball, if you're if you play fantasy baseball, you're going to be on that site a lot. Actually, did, did you play fantasy baseball this year? This is the first year I did do it in a while. So Same. I, you know, what's funny is my, my job at Pitcher List is to write about, you know, fantasy sleepers and stuff, figure out sort of like players and potentially schedules and everything that could favor fantasy and players. I have not played fantasy baseball in like five years. I don't, really? I don't really do it, but I write, I'm technically writing about it, but I don't play fantasy baseball or anything it's get it. last year i didn't do it because i was going to work for the nationals and it didn't feel right playing fantasy baseball when you're working for a team i feel like that's just like a little bit of a like a ethical thing uh a little pete rose-ish yeah a little <laughs> yeah it feels a little wrong even if it yeah. doesn't matter it still feels a little wrong yeah uh the other thing was it's just there's a there's a huge difference between like fantasy value and like real life actual baseball game value and a lot of my analysis and like what i want to do is much more in the real life value and that doesn't always translate to fantasy value but i try to when i'm writing for picture lists my articles about players i'm trying to do both a tell you what their value is fantasy wise and tell you what their value is in real life like what they're good at that helps to lead to success in terms of total value but also like here's how they can help your fantasy team that's the tough part about fantasy uh, baseball when it comes to pitchers is that wins becomes a meaningful stat. In yeah, it sucks. The worst way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like it's like I remember one year I had Dallas Keuchel, but back when he was uh, like at the end of his Astros tenure, when he was still only he was only pitching like five or six innings at a shot, and it's like, all right, he's kind of having a shit. I guess this is 2018, probably like 2017, 2018, right? Yeah. So he wasn't he wasn't like on, but like the team was good. So it wasn't going very deep, but he was getting wins, and it's like, ugh. Yep. This isn't a great pitching performance, but, like, it's five points a win. Yep. I, yeah. That's the, like, the, the one of the best gets in fantasy is going to be, like, Zach Britton, because he's just going to rack up so many holds, right? Ah. I mean, he's going to end the year with, like, 25 to 30 holds, and in a save hold lead, like, 
that's going to be so much value. And he's just, he's, he's not going to, he'll close occasionally. So he'll rack up some saves, but it's just going to be so many holds where it's like, ah, you know, he's not going to get you the strikeouts. He's going to walk a lot of people, but those holds though, there's a lot of holds. There's a lot of points in those holds. Yes. So from a fantasy perspective, somebody like Zach Britton, or, you know, on the uh, let's talk, you know, if we're talking like the Padres, right? I don't know who their closer is going to be, but, you know, Craig Stammen for Drew a few Pomerantz? years. Drew, is, is it going to be Pomerantz? They're probably wild because they have oh, so man. many guys who could close, but I don't know if they're going to like just set a closer. But either way, I mean, Pomerantz wouldn't be like the worst option in the world. He went from mediocre starter to elite reliever in literally like two weeks. It was crazy. Yeah. It's that's really just based off of when we had to, he would fill in that role and he would take those high leverage situations last year with Rosenthal gone, with you know, Kirby Yates yep. not coming back. Um, yeah, he's he's the likeliest to fill in. Then you know, he his fantasy value is skyrocketed because of that. Uh, it also yeah. skyrocketed because he went from throwing 91, 92 to 98. So, you know, that there's a <laughs> helps. There's that yeah. part of it too. <laughs> yeah. It helps a little bit. So we, uh, first off, thank you again, Max, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, we had just talked about, uh, not fantasy baseball, <laughs> the idea yes. of pitch value. And when I floated it to you, you said, um, what type? And I immediately <laughs> ran out of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a lot of you've probably the fact that you're aware of like pitch value, you know, like the metrics behind it is probably because you're aware that there seems to be a shift in pitching analysis away from just like general ERA metrics or ERA estimators towards, well, let's evaluate the types of pitches that they throw. Right. And how good those pitches are and everything. Uh, and that's, that's good. You're, you're, you're on the right track because we are sort of shifting away from, Oh, well, this person's FIP is lower than their ERA. They should get better. Like that's lazy analysis. Now we need to sort of say, okay, how good's their stuff? And like, what pitches do they throw? Well, what pitches could be effective and why? So I always start with baseball savants run value metric. Uh, so if you go on a player page, and you go down to their pitch arsenal, you're going to see an eventual like chart that has their run values. And, you know, Savant's really nice because everything's color cord, you know, coordinated with blue being bad, red being good, right? Which is reverse of how you would expect it. Uh, but so you're going to see some people where, like, so the most valuable pitch in 2020 was that Nielsen Lamette slider. It was worth negative 19 runs. So it saved 19 runs. And yes, I see the woot woot for denials and Lamette. That is my boy. I love that guy. <laughs> I'm, all the tr- trades the Padres made, people kept saying, Denials and Lamette, he must not be healthy. And I'm like, please don't say that. <laughs> that would hurt. I love that man. But uh, so what from there, we can see how valuable the pitch was. And then we can look at the underlying metrics like the swing strike percentage, the whiff percentage. How many, you know, what's the X WOBA on the pitch or the WOBA on the pitch and sort of go from there to figure out, okay, it, w- it was worth, so like Max Fried's fastball was worth negative nine runs, right? But the underlying metrics behind it say that it really shouldn't be that good. And 
from there we can see that right, he doesn't get like great whiffs on it. His you know spin rate is good, not great. His active spin rate or spin efficiency on the ball, which for those who don't know what that is, spin efficient. So you have spin, which is just the total amount of RPMs, and then spin efficiency or active spin is the amount of RPMs that are dedicated to movement. And the higher the percentage, the greater the Magnus force on the pitches, dedicating it to the movement of the pitch. So for a fastball, it would be sort of how the ball looks to be rising. I'm sure you guys have heard of like the mm-hmm. rising fastball. Like since you're a Yankee fan, you know, you watch Chad Green pitch and people would say it looks like his fastball rises all the time. Right. That's because he gets really good spin efficiency on his fastball. So that's. And you want that on a fastball. It's not necessarily necessary, you know, it's not necessary, but it's good to have. Like Garrett Cole, his fastball, really high spin efficiency. And that makes sense because he throws it up in the zone at 100 miles an hour and just says, have fun trying to hit this. And then when it gets lower in the zone and it's 100 miles an hour right down the middle, it doesn't really matter. He's done half the work for you when it gets sent. Right. Uh, but so Max Fried's fastball is really low in spin efficiency, which is normally a concern but he just has really good command of it. So all of this leads back to we're evaluating pitches based off of, first of all, like spin, how they move, the spin efficiency, and then how valuable is that pitch? And like, can we figure out if it should be more or less valuable based on underlying metrics? One of the things I've been, I've wondered about pitch valuation is does it, get affected or should it be by the setup and follow-up pitches involved in it? That's so, a really good, really good question. Uh, let me answer it by saying most publicly available data cannot answer that question. Um, but I can tell you that from my time that there are certain pitchers uh, that I worked with in my little bit time at the Nats that really like that information and think it's incredibly valuable. You know, there was the, I don't want to say who, because you know I'm sure my former employer industry would secrets. Say, yeah. They would tell me like, <laughs> don't be telling people that. Uh, so I'm not going to, but I can tell you that we had a conversation. He said, I would love to know, you know, if I throw a fastball in this count to this guy, how likely is it going to be effective and how does effective does it make my slider? Right. And so conversations like that, happen internally with teams and they're researching that and figuring that stuff out publicly there's not really a lot of metrics that do that and to be honest it's 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 hard like how about yeah like if let's say you know let's say garrett cole or denouse lament throw a 98 mile an hour fastball up and into a right-hander and then the next pitch they throw their slider or curveball and get them swinging hypothetically, you know, intuitively you would believe that the fastball helped set up that curveball and slider. And you're probably right, but we can't necessarily prove that, you know, in terms of like quantifying the valuation of the pitch. So like, yeah, he got a swing and a miss on a curveball or slider out of the zone, which is great, but the fastball helped set that up. So how valuable is that fastball? That's a great question that we haven't really gotten an answer for yet i think we're going to get it one day but right now i i mean we don't really have an answer and this is like the 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 most fun part of dealing with the complicated side of baseball statistics is how much of what we're looking at can be routinely defined by numbers and answers and how much of it is going to be 
shit we just can't figure like you could take the abstract concept that the series the sequence uh fastball changeup slider we'll call that the most effective sequence in a vacuum but you go from there how fast is the fastball how slow or how much tail does the changeup have and then how aggressive does the slider break which zones are they actually being thrown in hat which which time through the rotation is this Mm-hmm. You have all different types of fact, right-handed versus left-handed with the dexterity and the matchup of the dexterity. And I, that's the part of pitch valuation I find to be so interesting because like the idea of hitting a baseball is so <laughs> fucking hard. Yes. It <laughs> that, is. The, that the odds of you hitting a hundred mile an hour fastball, whether it's good or bad in terms of its um, spin efficiency or its pitch valuation is probably pretty low, but there's still good hundred mile an hour fastballs and less good hundred mile an hour fastballs. Yes. It's you're right. Like there's, there's a good, you know, 84 mile an hour slider and there's a bad 84 mile an hour slider, right? One that, you know, is tailing away from the hitter and gets him to chase out of the zone is a good one. One that doesn't really, you know, slide much and ends up right in the hitter's happy zone is not as good. Right. There's, there is, uh, your first point about how what's quantifiable and what's not. That's a that's a really good question. A project that I've always wanted to do, but I don't know if it has a ton of value anymore. Is all offensive metrics don't take into account pitch count, right? Mm-hmm. So an eleven pitch at bat, let's say it results in a, in a single, shows up in this you know box score the same as a one pitch at bat, right? It's you got a single, you got on base. Like, you know, there's there's no difference in terms of the box score, right? But hypothetically, back in the day, there used to be a big difference between an 11 pitch at bat and a one pitch at bat, right? Because, you know, the more tired the starter gets, you get into the bullpen with the hypothetically worse pitchers, uh, you know, quote unquote worse. Uh, and, you know, you knock the starter out of the game. But in today's game, that's not really true anymore. Like relievers come out of there and they all, they're all throwing 95 plus with nasty off speed right they're not necessarily worse pitchers now you see teams like they're trying to instead of build great starting rotations most of them are trying to build great bullpens right and they'll just live with it i mean that's the tampa bay rays have been great the last three years by just building really good bullpens you know that's that's how they do it and obviously they just got to the world series so if in some aspect it must be working and even and to we're, the dodgers we're very willing to get rid of their top starting pitcher yeah, or more relievers. They've got rid of. They didn't. They didn't give Charlie Morton his uh, option, which was shocking. Then they traded away Blake Snell, which was, I guess, you know, maybe at the time I was a little surprised, just because I was like, really. But the more you think about it, the more you're like, yeah, that is, that is what they do, isn't it? <laughs> and it's unfortunate. That's a different conversation for a different time right, about the, right. the owner spending habits in baseball. But the. Uh, yeah, it's. I would love to see it. You know, what is there a clear answer of what we can define and what we can't? I don't think so. Like, there's, there, you you try. I think they, you know, the the answer is you always try. If you don't, you know, if you're not su- successful in quantifying it, then it's fine. But at least you tried. Uh, where does it? You know, some people can say, oh, where does it stop? We're just going to let baseball be run by computers. No. 
no, that's never that's never going to happen. Like at right. the end of the day, there's still got to be some guy out there throwing a ball and some guy out there trying to hit it. Well, that and and the the uncertainty or the non-analytical part of the decision-making process is just going to shift places and that's where the manager is going to step in or yeah. the human element. We've gone from saying, "Ah, he looks tired, let's take him out." <laughs> He that wow pitcher number five looks pretty pretty beat up out there. Let's move on to all right. We are you know approaching the third time through the order. They he's already had to use his third pitch. He's only got the three of them. They've now all been seen. Let's, the the matchup favors bringing in Chad Green. Let's bring him in and then and then the decision making has has progressed from being wow he looks tired to I now have facts and reasons for making this decision outside yep. of how tired my guy looks and it'll keep exactly. moving in that direction. I think, you know, obviously that, that gets brought up a lot with like, you know, in the world series, Kevin cash decided to pull Blake Snell. And uh, a lot of people are saying, Oh, it's too soon. Like, you know, he should have stayed in there. I don't know what the right answer is. Uh, truth be told, like you can make an argument that he should have gotten pulled. You can make an argument that he should have left them in there. I don't, you know, I don't know if it really matters. But I think the mistake was bringing in Nick Anderson. But I mean, it's more of a, but it more says a lot about the sport altogether that, uh, you know, they got there by doing, by pulling Blake Snell. That's how the Rays got there, right? They, they got to the World Series because they made those decisions to pull him. And in the last, in the first four innings, I think Blake Snell registered like 13, 14 swings and misses. Like he was absolutely dealing. But then in the last like five batters he faced, he only got one swing and miss. Usually if you start generating less swings and misses, that's usually a sign that your stuff's starting to go, that you're not, you're not getting, you know, a leading indicator. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, so there's a good chance. Kevin Cash knew that like a really good chance. He knew that he wasn't getting swings and misses anymore. And he probably decided like, Hey, he's not getting swings and misses anymore. His fastball velocity is already down. Um, like it's probably best if I get somebody up in the bullpen and be ready to go. Cause that's what I've done all year. And here I am in game six of the world series. Why am I going to deviate? And also like in grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. The race scored one run. Like you're not going to beat the Dodgers scoring one run. Like we want to, if we want to go over that decision, all we want, that's fine. But like you got to score more than one run against the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you're definitely picking on the little things if uh, yeah, you didn't exactly. have a chance to win it outside of that anyway. It, that's that's like, did you that really one decision believe... didn't make or break the game? Exactly. If you did, you really believe that the Dodgers were going to lose one to nothing? That offense, one to nothing? Yeah, no. I mean, you can't expect the Rays bullpen to be perfect when they've been you know throwing all the time. Like, yeah, they're not the Seattle Mariners. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's definitely, I think the conversations around that game are like super misleading. Everyone's just focuses on the bullpen decision. I'm just sitting over here like they scored one run. <laughs> That's why they lost. Not because Kevin Cash pulled Blake Snell. They lost because they scored one run. It often boils down to what's the lowest common denominator. What can everyone universally be angry about <laughs> that That's we can true. then talk about on the radio? <laughs> I, I'm sure... I don't know how it was uh, with the Padres because they were such a fun and entertaining team. But, uh, you know, I follow a lot of Yankee fans because I 
I used to be a Yankee fan. I grew up a Yankee fan, but now I'm just like whoever pays me, that's who I'm going to root for. So you know, it's a good strategy. Yeah, I feel like that's I feel like that's the way to go. So I was now I was paying more attention to the Nationals this year than any team. Like that's the team I paid the most attention to. But my dad is still a Yankees fan, so like I would check in. And uh, man, maybe I don't know how it is with Padres fans, but every single decision Aaron Boone made, whether it was right or wrong, just got nitpicked to death. On, from Yankee fans and I was just like oh my god it does not matter that much Jesus but I don't know if they did the same with the Padres fans did with Jace Tingler I thought Padres fans from my interactions seemed to have a much better perspective on things yeah we generally support Tingler um, we can kind of rationalize why he's doing the things until he forces you know young superstars to apologize for yeah, having stupid. fun playing baseball in front of you know global media no big deal you know that part was something, but, but there's definitely, you know, there is appeal. I, I talked about this with uh, MLB Network. They just wrapped up their top 10 rankings, right? I feel MLB Network, while for the most part, they do a lot of things well, they appeal to the lowest common denominator in everything they do, everything. And so, like, they have the opportunity to make the fans of the game smarter. And that's a, like, that's a really big problem in baseball in terms of like fandom is that they're the analytics, the sabermetrics, they're not going away. The data it's, it's only going to get bigger. Right. And MLB networks just still sitting there using the same old batting average runs and RBI and all that stuff to talk about who should be the MVP and everything. And it's like, no, stop, <laughs> stop. Like we've, we have moved on and they have this great opportunity to, make the game smarter to stop getting all these discussions on things that don't matter. Like, well, this guy had 20 more RBI than he did. I remember, you know, the peak of it was years ago with Josh Donaldson versus Mike Trout. People kept citing, citing Josh Donaldson's high RBI count versus Mike Trout. And I was like, that's just because Josh Donaldson plays on a better team. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. It's not really that hard to think about. Now, Jose Abreu led the American League in RBI. Yeah, because the White Sox were good, and he was one of their good hitters. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, not, so it's not hard. They they treat the boilerplate stats that no, are, don't matter much, like batting average, as being the main stats, and then all the stats that do matter as like the also he does this. When yeah. it should be the other way around. And I I think they're missing an opportunity in doing exactly what you're saying because batting average, I think, works as a discussion point for the older generation um, because it's observable. It's, it's a little intuitive. It's like, ah, yes, he went up to the plate and he either did or did not hit the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and that is how we are measuring this statistic. Um, but and then they're treating everything else like fancy, fancy science math. Yes. <laughs> Who knows how they do that stuff? Um, when a lot of it's still really intuitive. Yeah. It's because if it hard. wasn't, they wouldn't measure it. <laughs> like exactly. And that's the thing that I like about pitch valuation because it's it feels like it's it's that next step towards you know when you see it on TV. Yeah. Now we have a number for it. Correct. And that's what I would wish they would do because, you know, that's the type of conversation I'd rather, as much as I love listening to like the color commentators, you know, like I love listening to David Cohn. Yeah. He's Yankees great. Broadcast because he's great. And he does do a lot of the advanced metric stuff, but 
I, as much as I love hearing the rationale of the sequencing, I'd also love to hear the, you know, his changeup has a value above average or a, um, what, what was the negative metric that we had just mentioned? Run value. Metric right. So, right. Right. A, a, a run, run value of, of negative 10, which is, you know, better or in line yes. with the industry average, what have you, because then when you see that change up, when you see that curveball, when you see that slider and you go, oh, hey, that looks pretty good. You can go, yes, it is. In fact, it is X percent better than yep. the than the ever, other guys, which is, again, an observable like you'll see it. <laughs> you'll know. Yes. That's that's one of my that, that's a great point. Uh, you know, I think you guys are lucky because Yankee fans, a they get David Cohn, who's great. And B, Padres fans get you know, I love their booth. Their booth is fantastic. Don Arcillo and uh, what Mark Grant, uh, so good. They're Best really, tandem really, in baseball. Yeah. Oh my god. I I I would watch Padres games and I would just be like, this is nice. But on a national stage, right? So you guys are lucky because I know in the Padres games they do talk about some of that stuff every now and again, and that's great. In the Yankees games, I know that they do that too. But on the national stage, when you got John Smoltz just sitting there, shitting on the shift per se, you know. Uh, you know, a there was, very basic rudimentary concept. Yeah, really not. They hit it here often. We should put people there. It's not like it's not hard. How do you think like, the positions got there in the first place? Yeah, exactly. It's breaking yeah. the integrity of the game by putting uh, people in the field. <laughs> we want no to be better at defense. How dare you? I want to make sure the other team scores less runs. How <laughs> dare I do that? But you. I mean, it's a real problem when he's sitting there just ripping into the shift. And one of my favorite things was in the World Series. I don't remember which game, but in the span of like two innings, right? He went from ripping on the shift because it gave up a base hit. But then the next inning, the shift was able to help them turn a double play because of where they were positioned. And Smoltz didn't say diddly squat about it. He said nothing. And that's the problem is that you have these people and you see it in other sports. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys are basketball fans, but you know Shaq and you know, uh, no, no, I'm not. My <laughs> no, I'm no, I'm very much so not. Hey, they're in the playoffs right now. Uh, take it, take it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Emmanuel you know, quickly. Yes, <laughs> but you got Shaq. Like I'm sure you guys saw what Shaq did to Donovan Mitchell, right? Mm -hmm. Straight up to his face, just told him, "I don't think you're capable of leading a team." How is that beneficial to the sport? Like explain to me how that's beneficial to the sport. And in baseball, it's the same thing. You got you got John Smoltz just sitting out there. I feel bad for Joe Buck because I think Joe Buck's actually a pretty good play-by-play -play guy. But his color guys, Buck. his his color guys stink. He's got John Smoltz and Troy Aikman. That's terrible. Like that's just that's why he gets so much rap. He had he before John Smoltz, he had what was his name, uh, Tim McCarver, who is terrible too and for football he's had troy aikman for years now that i think people can't separate the fact that joe buck's a pretty good play-by-play -play guy he just doesn't have good color guys uh but it's back to the point as you said it would be so nice to hear and some it's easier with hitters because like oh they hit the ball hard how be much better are they at hitting the ball hard than other players that's super easy and that information is readily available but oh he threw that one one slider you know, Dallas and threw that one-one slider that set up his fastball. Well, how good is that slider relative to other sliders? And like that would be 
a great conversation to have on a broadcast of like, you just saw a really good pitch. Well, how good is that pitch actually, right? Explain how good that pitch is with data. Don't just, you know, you don't have to just sit there and say, oh, see that slider just set up that one, you know, that one, two fastball. Yeah, everyone can see that. You don't, you know, it's not some earth shattering analysis for John Smoltz to say that the previous pitch set up the next one. We all saw that, but explain how valuable that pitch is. That makes your fan base, that makes the viewers smarter. They learned something from that. And then it's sort of like, huh, I wonder how they did that. And then they go online and they see and they read and they don't actually do this, but I would hope they subscribe would. to pitchers list. Yeah. And subscribe <laughs> to pitchers list where we go over that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I mean, every day I see somebody post something about how, like, you know, a popular topic right now, I think, is, you know, the Rangers and A's just made a trade yesterday where the Rangers shipped Elvis Andrews to Oakland and Chris Davis to Texas in what was a pure salary dump move. So now it's got people questioning of like, oh, is Joey Gallo available from the Rangers, right? Uh, and, you know, I think every team should be pining after Joey Gallo. I think obviously, hey, he's an amazing defender. So his floor is going to be really high. And B, dude, he just hits tanks, right? Like <laughs> straight up tanks. The man launches the ball and it's so much fun. But, you know, you got fans who are like, well, he's a 208 hitter with a 327 on base percentage. First of all, the fact that his on base percentage is over 100 points higher than his batting average shows that, like, he has a really high ceiling. Like, if he just starts making contact more often, then, like, he can do really amazing things. But fans don't understand that. Like, they just see the low batting average and get confused. And I, I hope that if Joey Gallo does get traded to the Yankees, which, wouldn't happen, but let's yeah. assume it does. Um, I, I, I would hope sincerely in my heart of hearts that he bats 180 with a WRC plus of 141 just to make everyone <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> if he gets a hit, it's a home run. Yeah. He hits 180 with like a 340 on base percentage and like a 530 slug. He goes one for two per game <laughs> or like one, 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 you know, like one for three on average per game, two walks that one hits a home run. Go, go have a ball. He'll go one for three, one for four, one for five, and then have a couple walks tripped in there. But every single hit is a home run. Yeah, all of them. Finish the game with a or finish the season with 162 home runs and loses <laughs> yeah. the MVP because, <laughs> like, you can't be like 150. What the fuck? <laughs> it would be a sucks. <laughs> it would be hysterical. That's that is the day I'm looking for is like the old Adam Dunn stat lines of like 230 but he had 40 home runs and like a 330 on base 340 on base and everyone's like Adam Dunn is not really that good of a hitter Adam Dunn is a great hitter god damn it <laughs> oh. Jesus Christ I know what would the uh, pitching equivalent of that be you strike the... out every guy until you give up a home run yeah, so like you get a lot of strikeouts, but when you do give up contact, it gets crushed. So like Josh Hader, exactly, gets, yeah, he gets a lot of strikeouts, but when he gives up contact, it seems like it just gets crushed. At least last season. Yeah, and it, it, it was hilarious because in 2019, if you looked at his baseball savant page, it was like K percentage 100, walk percentage like 98, uh, whiff percentage 100, and then it was just like hard hit rate one, barrel percentage one. <laughs> it's like. He doesn't give up much contact, but when he does, oh, that baby's getting crushed. (laughs) 
Another guy is uh, Tanner Rainey of the Nationals. He's like that. He doesn't give up a lot of contact, but when he does, oh man, that ball gets just <laughs> annihilated. <laughs> it's hysterical. There's a lot of guys, you know, a lot of Edwin Diaz is sort of like that. You know, he was much better in 2020 than uh, he was much better in 2019 than his numbers showed, but he was much better in 2020 even with that. And but he's a guy like guys who throw hard, but you know, their fastball doesn't like move a ton, doesn't rise a lot, or doesn't cut or you know sink a bunch like those guys tend to be the ones that just give up like hard contact because you know if you make contact they've done some of the work for you right like edwin diaz is throwing 100 miles an hour yeah if you make contact you're probably going to hit it pretty good while we're on the subject max you're clearly much smarter about baseball and you know actual pitching mechanics and and how what makes a pitch good how do we fix Edwin Diaz? How do we do it? <laughs> I thought I get think, him off the Mets. I think in 2019 he just had what you know an unsustainable problem of the home run. Like he gave up home runs at a crazy high rate, and a home run to fly ball ratio on Fangraphs you can see uh, it's really it's not stable. There's a lot of variation in it year to year. So the the biggest way to fix Edwin Diaz is a, he's just got to throw, he's got to locate his fastball better. Like that, that's the first step. And he did that in 2020. He, his fastball definitely was, he was a little bit crisper with it, had better command of the pitch. The, the other thing is Diaz, it looked like he wasn't really too comfortable with like the pitch calling of his catcher. You know, we were talking about pitch sequencing and how valuable that really is we may not have a value of it, but there is like, and a lot of it comes from like a catcher and all related to back. I not to bring up painful memories for Josh, but uh, ALDS game five with Chapman facing, you know, Mike Brasso, you can clearly see that Gary Sanchez is calling for something off speed before that home run. But Chapman shakes it off. Cause he's like, I want to be beat with my fastball. If I'm going to be beat. Brasso is way out in front. If he gets something off speed there, he's swinging through it. Like if it's at all close, he's going to swing through it. I think with Diaz, it's sort of the same thing. It's like he has to just trust his off-speed stuff as much as he trusts his fastball. Like his off-speed stuff is good. That slider is dirty. Like he needs to trust it. And I know that's not like this grand analytical explanation of like, well, his slider moves like this and you should do Like sometimes it's a very basic explanation of just like he just needs to trust it. Some guys lose confidence. That's it. And Edwin Diaz clearly just lost a lot of confidence in 2019. And in 2020, I think I, I thought the Mets did the right thing and said, you know, like, you're still a great pitcher. You're still going to be our closer. Like, we want you to be the guy for us. And he showed, like, he's like, if you give me a chance, I can succeed. And he did. He, he was much, much better in 2020. So I think people, I understand that Mets fans have been through a lot with the will ponds and everything. And it's not getting any easier this off season, even though they said it was supposed to, but it, it has not thanks to some very horrible things that have been done uh, by some very, very bad people. Uh, so my answer to Edwin Diaz is he, his command of his fastball needs to improve and he just needs to trust his off speed stuff. I feel like when he got into a pinch, he only went to the fastball and it's just, he, he shouldn't do that. Trust the off speed. 
So how so much we need him to ahead, get really drunk, get his dick sucked, and just get his confidence <laughs> back and pitch better. Yeah, got it. That, he's got an ugly girlfriend. The explanation. Yeah, sure God. Steve Cohen can figure that out. I'm Steve Cohen's got so <laughs> many things to worry about right now. Thanks to first of all, but this is unrelated. But how does Sandy Alderson still have a job? Like, I'm dead serious. Mickey Callaway's not fired yet. There's a whole bunch of questions with well, the culture of baseball right now that make no fucking sense. And Mickey, someone's Mickey Callaway's get some responsibility here. Mickey Callaway is not fired because California, I live here, has labor laws that say you can't fire an employee without an investigation. That's, I know, that's but that I mean. investigation should have been five minutes. Man, there's screenshots. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, again, it, there's there's no there's no like the fact that it, he's still not fired after all this time is like, all right, how long does this investigation really need to be? Right. Like, so uh, there's nothing there, but he Alderson hired Porter and Callaway. And clearly with the thing about Porter was, okay, maybe it wasn't as known, right? Like you have to figure somebody from another team knew or other women and not interviewing women. That's, that's bad enough. Like, that's like, all right, come on, dude. But then with Callaway, it had been known for years about this and they knew the Mets knew and still brought him back. Right. Like that's, that's the problem. And then again, no one's been held accountable about it. Right. Like we haven't, we haven't asked a single person like, Hey, um, you hired this person. Why? What happened? Right. Cause if you're, if you work in a regular job and you're a hiring manager and you hire two people that were accused of sexual assault or harassment within like a couple of years and both of them came out at the same time, you would probably be fired. Oh, like, yeah. like a very high chance you would be fired. But Alderson's still there. He still has a job. And it's mind-blowing to me. Corey and I talk about this a lot when it comes to the old boys club of whoever is running every single sport, you know, Baseball's like this. Football's like this. It seems like every fucking sport's like this. And yes. it puts fans in just the worst fucking position yep. as well as, you know, everybody getting sexually assaulted by monsters because there is a calculus being done that, hey, is on the field products good? Let's forgive yep. the atrocities. And it's like, no, because then not only if I'm a Mets fan, I know I have to go figure out how to still root for my team. Um, or if I'm an Angels fan, since since Callaway's still there for the time being, I have to figure out how to still root for my team. And then it's like, you know, if Porter made a good free agent signing, am I happy about that now? Am yep. I, you know what I mean? And and then you have to deal with the fact like, all right, are the Mets more fundamentally broken in a more meaningful and impactful way than I thought three weeks ago? Like, it, it, it would behoove them to just do the right thing for the sake of ease. And they still don't do it. Yeah, it's well. Uh, when we talk about, there are certain things where it's like super cut and dry. And with Porter, it was easy because he's you know he's not a player, right? Like you can just get rid of him and not really have any consequences. But with players, it becomes more complicated, especially in domestic abuse situations. There's, uh, I'm sure Josh, you know who Lindsay Adler is because she's yeah, uh, beat right for the Yankees. Lindsay. Yes, Lindsay's great, uh, and she's written many times about how like this this idea of a zero tolerance policy with like domestic violence uh, and abusers and stuff is nice in theory. And it makes us feel good of like, yes, because bad people don't deserve good things. A 
non-argumentative point. Like, I'm not going to disagree. Like, that's very true. But the problem is, like, it doesn't actually fix the issue. Like, it actually puts victims in more risk because now their job has been taken away. And now they might feel more resentment towards the victim and might act out even more. And again, and that's a problem. The stakes of speaking up are higher. Yes, correct. You're exactly right. Is So now they are less likely to come forward. And it's already extremely difficult for these women or men who are ever in these uh, situations to come forward. Right. So, you know, when people are like, well, what's the solution? The answer is very plainly, I don't know. Like, like I hate that that's the my answer is like I don't know what the solution is and I don't know like what to do with players but I can tell you like from a front office personnel or a coaching perspective you know right if these people do these things you can get rid of them like well it's and- not as easy with a player sure but with the coaches and front office people who sort you know sexually harass and abuse their power like this you can get rid of them and, and to, to, to speak to the point you made just prior to that of, of what's the right answer is, it would be sad, Max, if you had the answer for that, because it would mean that baseball either, one, didn't, or two, did and didn't care. Yep. Uh, it shouldn't really be the fans' job to figure out the problems here when the MLB has, I'm going to assume, a lot of resources, read dollars, to reach out to legal experts and penal code experts uh, who could figure out and uh, domestic abuse um, situation handling experts that could figure out the best way to actually approach these things and put time, energy, money, and concern into the problem and instead don't. Um, Again, the easy concept of, hey, let's pay smart people to figure out this problem that we have no understanding of. And instead, they choose the hard way of doing nothing and then looking bad because they're wrong in like a moral and consequential way, which again, why, why do it? Why constantly do things the worst possible way to save yourself like a year, maybe of bad press and then end up getting it later on anyway. The Mets. Yeah. We, we, we talk about this a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I, it's, it's good that you talk about it because, like, you know, we should talk about it. You know, we need to talk about it. It's just I always come back to when I talk about it with people of, like, I don't have the answer and I don't think anybody does. And on the one hand, it's not up to the fans to decide that. And on the other hand, it's also like, you know, the league's, you know, and their response is going to be, you know, we're not responsible for stopping these people from doing these things. And it's like, okay, sure. But you are responsible for, you know, them in a certain respect, right? Like they are employees of these teams that are a part of your league. And so you are responsible for them. But, you know, the, the simple explanation is there are bad people who do bad things. And sometimes, you know, getting rid of that is not very easy. No, no, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it is not pitch valuation, but we were talking about uh, well, to, to loop it back in. You know, it's funny that baseball can figure out how to put a missile guidance system into every baseball stadium to track pitches, but can't figure out how to kick bad people out of playing baseball. Yep. Uh, um, one seems far more complicated. One of those two things. That's Thank true. That's, one yeah. of those two things makes the money. Yes. One. Yeah. The, the other, they're just like, ah, oh, this is an inconvenience. Hmm. Yeah. Shit, this is bad for PR. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone get someone get more baseball trackers in here. And it's someone, also funny because it's like baseball doesn't know what PR is. 
<sighs> They're like, just go sign Bartolo Cologne and we're fine. <laughs> Fat man hits home runs. World is happy. Yes. <laughs> world, world okay as world crumbles around. <laughs> I think there's plenty of baseball far. fans that would genuinely be okay with the status of the world right now as long as Bartolo Cologne is still batting. Hey, yeah. let's make him GM. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, God. He makes Actually, himself I don't think manager and yeah. an everyday player. If I ever see Play Bartolo on an MLB team again, I think I think I might like riot. I might find Would? the person who signed them. I thought okay. you were going to Se- say something semi- very different. Other end of the spectrum. Semi-serious question. Semi. Would Bartolo Colon make the Angels rotation better or worse? Definitely mm. worse. I think he makes every rotation worse, except for maybe like the Pirates. Ooh, Ooh that's fair. As oh. a former Pirates fan, Corwin, I'm sure you're very sad. Yeah, <laughs> dude, the pirates are. I feel bad. My godfather, he's from Pennsylvania. He's from the Pittsburgh area. He's a huge pirates fan. And every time, like when they traded Josh Bell, and then they traded Joe Musgrove, and they traded Jameson Tyon, uh, I I'd sent him a message. He goes, "This is this is just what it's like." <laughs> I was like I'm yep. so sorry. <laughs> we did a we did a whole episode last year before last season, uh, basically. I was surrendering all rights to be a fan of the Pirates because of how bad, you know, Nutting and, and the rest yep. of that front office fucks Bob the Nutting team sucks. over every yeah. year. And, Bob Nutting uh, is the worst. Thank God we ended up with the Padres. Holy shit. Yeah. I, Bob Nutting is the, the thing about this is a most owners are like this is Bob Nutting. He's just like, as long as I make 15th in revenue or like am I'm 15th in revenue or whatever, I'm fine because then I can just coast off of the revenue sharing and I'll be fine. Like winning doesn't matter. It's just about making sure I make enough to not be in the upper echelon to where I get stuff taken away from me and I can just make money off the revenue sharing. Yep. What was, uh, Josh, I know I sent this to you uh, the other day, but what is it? If you put all of the top individual salaries, uh, just ranked them of all the top yearly AAVs, the Pirates would finish like eighth. Yep. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Yep. Uh, sorry, uh, 13th. Really? Wow. 13th? Yeah. Well, it goes that, uh, Bauer, Trout, DeGrom, slash Cole, uh, then Strasburg, Greinke, Arenado at fifth, Scherzer's eighth, Verlander's ninth, Price and Machado are tied for 10th, Kershaw is 12th, and the Pittsburgh Pirates are 13th. Where did I send that to you? Uh, oh, in the text. text messages, yeah. Yep, fourth fourth uh, service the charm. <laughs> yep, uh, that's right, that. I want to I I loop us back into, into pitch value with another uh, question about your opinion on a trade. Uh, in, in a rare event, the Yankees and Red Sox made a trade this year, um, <laughs> which I didn't i i thought that was a prank um when i saw it on twitter because that just it it's too if you don't follow baseball it's uh it's too weird to think about it's uh, like the teams that just don't fucking trade like the jets and patriots have done more business than than the red sox and the the yankees in recent years um but adam adovino is getting moved to the red sox and adovino has been a point of discussion for the past like three years in baseball since he 
got that warehouse in Brooklyn to reinvent all of his pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, cause you know, I, I watched Ottavino last season with the Yankees in, in the, you know, in the shortened 2020 season. And obviously he didn't have the world's greatest season, but his pitches still had movement to a pretty large degree. He just had a lot of problems finding the strike zone. And then he seemed to get batted around a lot, but his, the core concept, I guess, of a breaking ball pitch still existed within his arsenal. It seemed as though the application of it was lacking. And I'm wondering at what point does that, you know, measurable versus underlying metric overlap in any meaningful, at what point do you say, yeah, his pitches are moving great. They're moving better than average pitches, but for whatever reason, they're getting rocked off the face of the earth and we have to get out of this. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So your, your question is sort of like, okay, the metric, the underlying stuff says it should be good, but it's not. Why? The biggest reason is probably going to be command. Like Adovino's command is just bad. <laughs> he, he walks a lot of guys. Everybody. And then, and then when he finally has to come over the center of the plate, like it, they're all expecting it, right? It doesn't matter how much it moves. They're just like, well, there it is. Like, it's got to come over the center of the plate at some point. Uh, Ottavino really, he really only had one, like, truly just atrocious outing versus Toronto. That kind of threw everything off. But it was after, even after that outing, you could kind of see, like, he just looked shaken. He looked, his confidence was not there. His command was just not there all year. Really, I mean, he really hasn't been in his entire career. I don't, I don't know if he's ever registered a walk rate under ten percent in his career. I genuinely don't know. I'd have to look. That's bad. Uh, but so the biggest, the biggest issue of like, okay, the underlying metric should say that the pitches should be doing better, but they're not. Why? It's probably going to be command, um, and that could be also the biggest reason of like, all right, the underlying metric should say that this pitch sucks, but it doesn't. Why? It's probably because they can command it really well. As I was saying earlier with Max Fried's fastball, his fastball, like it doesn't really, you know, the underlying metrics would tell you like that shouldn't be a very, very good pitch, but he has really good command of it. And he knows where he wants to throw it and throws it in this one specific spot most of the time. And that's why it's so good. So for Adovino, it was probably just, yeah, the slider and the two seamer and the cutter are still moving very well, but he has no idea where it's going. Mm-hmm. So, how would you approach a guy like Adovino then? Where what you would want out of the pitch in a vacuum exists, but where the execution in terms of location and that actual result, in whatever way you want to measure that, preferably not ERA. Yes. Um, wh- what would you do? Would, would you have traded him to the Red Sox or would you have tried to work with him and find some different solution where the stuff translates better to the stats sheet? I will answer this by saying under the current way the Yankees are operating under a budget, which is stupid and ridiculous. Let me let me let me say that. Agreed. That's, that, that is dumb. Under the current way they are operating, the trade makes sense because they can save out of, you know, salary and then go sign other people if they want to they still have like a week left and i i don't know how you feel but my expectation is still that brett gardner is coming back in some weird 
way. I don't. I don't get why people are mad about that. It. It, it doesn't. He's budget still, fourth outfielder. Like yeah, every team has him. He's. The other thing is like he's still good. Yeah, he was still good in 2020. Like he still produced. He but, can play center field. He's a left-handed bat, and no one expects him to be very good. So like, yeah, three million dollars for Brett Gardner. Who who gives a fuck? Yeah, I, like it doesn't doesn't matter. I'm anyway. okay. We agree. <laughs> uh, but if they were if they were not operating under a budget, I don't think that trade happens. Like, I think that trade only happens because they just wanted to get rid of the salary. But I think if I were working with Adovino, we would be looking at a lot of film a lot a lot of film to figure out okay is it a mechanic issue and if it is a mechanic issue where in his release where in his you know motion is he sort of deviating from 2019 form bit or if he's just like finishing out front too much the ball is you know his hands too far back whatever it may be let's try and see if we can find it in the video that would be the first thing i'd do because as you said yeah i mean the spin's still good the movement's still there it's just his command isn't. So is it a mechanical issue with the command or is it literally just like he just needed some confidence? Sometimes that's all it is. It's just like players just they get into these weird funks and they just get down on themselves and they just make it worse. But if I were working with him, a lot of it would just be, OK, we don't need to do anything in pitch design. Your pitches are designed fine. They're they're doing what they're meant to do. It's your command of the pitch. So let's check the video then let's throw bullpens and let's just work on command in your bullpens like i'm gonna put specific targets out and you got to hit those targets right so like you know if there's no catcher i'll set up you know you see some people they have those screens and they put like black dots and stuff on there like that's what i would do like that's you know that would be what i would be working with Ottavino on like i need you to throw your two seamer here five times in a row then i need you to throw your slider here five times in a row right to improve the command um but you know truth be told like i don't know what he's boston's gonna have him be doing uh they could be having him do that uh but if it were me i would have not made that trade because you know a salary dump when you're the yankees is ridiculous but uh i i get it why they made it though so, because so one of the things that has me concerned, oh Corwin, did you want to say something? No, go ahead. Okay, uh, one of the things that has me concerned is that the phrase "establish the fastball" is going to become commonplace again. Um, I'm very worried about this um, because it's like what you said. Like he his his movement is so great that you knew if it was gonna people. I it looked like everyone just kind of stopped swinging at. Because yeah. his mo- his movement's so wild, in a, in in a vacuum, which would be good, but unfortunately, in reality, it's a problem. And that's one of the things that makes the individual stat be tough because the actual result requires that second person, the batter. Yeah. And if all of those really big movement pitches resulted in whiffs, all of a sudden those pitches are great. The yep. problem is they don't. That's not happening. Yeah, And that's what makes, I think, Ottavino such an interesting case because I think we can all still recognize, like I, I have his, his page up here, he had um, 3.3 additional vertical uh, inches of movement on his sinker above average and 8 mm-hmm. inches of additional horizontal movement on his slider uh, against average in 2020. Those are huge numbers. Yeah, that's if I saw that, I'd be like, that's great. Those, My those PPO. are moving great. 
Right. And uh, the problem is they just didn't, he still ended up having, you know, a relatively tough year again, skewed because of that one big outing. Uh, yes. But he had a, he had a, he had a tough year and it's, uh, the reason I'm afraid of, of the phrase establishing the fastball coming back is that, man, I I don't want to hear this be because he, he was like the poster child of reinventing your pitching using modern technology. Yes. And then he got roughed up and I don't want anyone to go, ah, see, science did this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's a that's a real fear. I mean, the other poster child just got paid, so maybe it won't. True. But <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the the phrase "establish the fastball" is ridiculous. the The common thought amongst uh, very analytical people is throw your best pitches more. If your best pitch is your slider, throw it more. Like you don't have to throw it so much that it's the only thing you're throwing. But like, if your best pitch is a changeup and you only throw it fifteen percent of the time, increase the usage. I it's marginal you. utility. Yeah, like you, you will probably see more results if you throw it too much. Yeah, it won't become your best pitch anymore. But like you increase the usage of your pitch. That doesn't mean throw your fastball more because it might not be your best pitch. I'm not telling Kyle Hendricks to throw his fastball more. That's a bad idea, right? He's not the kind of guy for it. I might tell somebody like Araldus Chapman, yeah, you can throw your fastball more. He already throws it a lot, but he, boom. Right. There are other there are some guys who can throw their fastball more like Garrett Cole. He throws his fastball a lot. Yeah, it's because it's a really good fastball. <laughs> like it's I a think great uh, I think Zach Greinke should throw his ephus more. Yes, I want it. Is that just, the only just because it's a visually yeah. appealing pitch? I agree. Uh, <laughs> and to scream while he does it. <laughs> yes. You know, what's funny is he might do that just because he's Zach Greinke. I love Zach Greinke, though. That's I love him a, so much. He's, he's so great for the game of baseball. But uh, I want yeah. him to fight for setting that record again for the lowest possible pitch he could throw. He's going to come out there and underhand toss it one of these days. The, the thing about Zach Greinke <laughs> that I really enjoy is, first of all, he's a Hall of Famer, and I don't think most people know that. Like, he's definitely going to the Hall of Fame. He's a great pitcher. Second of all, the... <laughs> is he's going to last for so long just because he pinpoints everything. Mm -hmm. He just, he's like, I only throw 90 miles an hour, but like, I don't really need to throw that much harder. Greg Maddox. Yeah. He's, he's like, I just, I can pump it up to 92 if I need to, but I don't really need to. I'll throw my 88 mile an hour fastball and my 89 mile an hour change up all day. Yep. It's hysterical. Does it need to make sense? Nope. <laughs> and it's somehow it's still really effective. It's so weird. I love Zach Greinke, but amazing. yes, back to your your point about establishing the fastball and just like people crapping on pitch design. I would say that like maybe it might happen if the guy who just got paid struggles this year. But on the one hand, I want that guy to struggle. <laughs> yes, same. Yes, so much. He's 0-4 against the Padres, so the more he plays against them this year, the worse he's going to be. Oh, yeah. Hey, if, if 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 Fernando Tatis Jr. hits a home run in all those outings, we're all happy people. Yes. If the world Tatis, is better for it. If Fernando Tatis hits a home run in each one of those outings, I'm getting a tattoo of him on my face. <laughs> you should. You should do that anyway. I like that I just, like, naturally got, like, three inches from the camera to make that yeah. statement. <laughs> All right, so I have another question for you, Max, and this is it. It's difficult because 
a lot of these metrics or at least how we collect the data is relatively new mm-hmm. but if you were to which one do you think is more coachable the ability to throw um with a high spin efficiency and having you know getting good movement and all these types of things or um better decision making and sequencing and execution Ooh, i like that question that's a that's a really good question um i would say the thing that's more coachable is improving the movement and spin efficiency and stuff because you can just sit there with a player and show them like what their hand is doing to m- get the spin direction that gets the movement and the you know spin efficiency right you can show them that the sequencing you have to sort of talk through their stuff and figure out how it all works together and like some pitchers they don't they're not going to know that whereas if you just show them what their hand is doing they're like okay i can see that Whereas with pitch sequencing, it's like, I can't see that necessarily, right? And we don't, you know, some teams might have data uh, on it, but for the most part, it's like, okay, you feel that your fastball sets up your changeup really well. Let's see, like, how, you know, let's get some overlays. Let's see how they work together. Let's compare the metrics and, how, like, how they move together, right? But that's not necessarily something that can be easy to see, whereas you know, improving the spin efficiency and changing the spin direction. Yeah, that's easy to see. Just change your hand a little bit, change how you grip the ball. That's all good. So I would say that the changing the, you know, the movement profile and spin efficiency is easier to coach. Whereas I think that might not necessarily have more value. It could, but pitch pitch sequencing is going to be just as important, but harder to, to explain. Okay, so you would rather have, I don't know, who's a, who's a young pitcher that's still trying to figure it out? Hmm. Maybe uh, like Chris a... Chris Paddock. Yeah. Okay, so you'd rather have Chris Paddock over, I don't know, let's assume Adovino's issue with sequencing just for sake of conversation. You'd rather have Paddock and try to teach him better with movement than you would um, Adovino with sequencing. Yeah, I think... I also think Chris Paddock's issue is just like super fix- fixable. It his his spin on his his spin direction on his fastball and just like his fastball in general, it just needs like a rehaul. They just need to go over it. I don't think like I think the other pitches are fine. I think his changeups good and his curveball is improving, but it's it's just his fastball is just so out of whack that it's easier. That would be an easier fix than fixing Ottavino. I think Paddock's issue is the mullet. Yeah, <laughs> ruining his aerodynamic ability to throw the ball. Yo, Josh, I'm about to quit this fucking podcast. <laughs> you coming out here with statements like that? Are you serious? I might make a mullet bet with you about Chris Paddock's ERA at this point. Sure. Yeah. I mean, once he fixes the fastball, like Max was saying, like if it's an easy fix like that, the rest of his struggles with his pitches kind of branch out off of that. At least everything I've read into it. Max, you're much smarter about this. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, please. But I think if he can fix the fastball, I think he's going to come back to his, you know, rookie year trajectory. So I think he fixes the fastball without that with that mullet. That mullet's got to (laughs) go. I you said some wild ass shit on this podcast. This is one of the worst. He looks like the he looks like a bully from like a nineteen eighties high school drama. Like, and is that a problem? (laughs) Can baseball not have heels? Yes. Okay. 
Look, Can look I at Fernando Tatis Jr. He is the future. Chris Paddock looks like he stuck 30 years ago. He wasn't even born. <laughs> Josh, I will ask you this since you're saying this about the mullet. Should the Yankees have facial hair or not have facial hair? Um, oh, man. I, my, <laughs> see, my, my problem is I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Because that's, um, that's... Like, <laughs> if, if you're to tell me that um, George Steinbrenner's dying wish was that the Yankees never have facial hair and everyone in the organization's cool with it, uh, fucking okay. Um, or if Hal Steinbrenner announced tomorrow that he's getting rid of the facial hair policy, fucking okay. I, man, I don't give a crap. <laughs> <laughs> do you think in general yankees fans would give a shit if they were like yeah no we're gonna go back to normal like we're just gonna say fuck it you could have it do you think fans would be outraged by i think i think, I think there would be now? i think there's a few fans that would be upset i think there's a like a noticeable percentage of the fan base that would They're be older, mad. but yeah because yeah. the, the thing people don't realize or at least remember about the facial hair policy is that steinbrenner issued that when he bought the team in the 70s because before he bought the team um, the team was in like fucking chaos and the idea of the facial hair and hair length policy was we're going to run this as a tighter ship. You guys will figure your shit out. Stop being quite so wild with it all. And we're going to build a winning organization. And that starts with appearance. And it was never like a, it became a thing, like a permanent thing, but it didn't start off. It's not like the Yankees and, you know, not like Babe Ruth was forbidden from having a fucking beard. Like, no. it's not that far back. It's, it's a policy from, like, the early 70s. Like, it's not it's not an institution if you don't want it to be. <laughs> like, yeah, it can, can be gone. Get... They're not – it's not the pinstripes. <laughs> like, it's yes. it's just fucking hair. So, I don't give a shit. Yes. If, if it were me personally, I have a beard, so I'm biased. And, I, I, you know, if I work for the team, I would have to shave it. And I don't want to do that. Uh, so, if it were me personally, I would get rid of it. Just because it's also dumb to tell players, like, they should or should not have certain styles of facial hair and, you know, beards. Also, because Andrew McCutcheon looked so goddamn scary without it. It was weird. And also, the problem that the Yankees are going to encounter at some point, um, and it's honestly quite shocking that they haven't encountered it yet, but they're going to have to encounter it at some point. What do you do when a player comes along with dreadlocks? You ain't telling that dude to fucking cut him. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that was... shouldn't, but, like, you're going to have to let him have them. McCutcheon had already cut his hair. Yeah. yeah he did it out of his I own whim. He just wanted he to. Yeah, he, yeah, he got a couple more with the Giants. Um, but if he, if, he, if he hadn't cut his hair, then it's like, oh, God. Because you, you, you just can't. Like, morally, ethically, you shouldn't tell a guy with dreadlocks to cut his hair. And if you're going to make the exception, then, like, why do we give a shit at all? At all. Yeah, exactly. You, and, Again, like just PR wise, like telling a, you know, a lower level prospect who's coming up for, you know, injury relief to cut his dreadlocks is one thing telling a guy like Andrew. Well, it's going to be viewed as one thing and different than telling a guy like Andrew. The institution to cut his that is baseball writers will view it differently. Yeah, right. Yeah, it shouldn't be. And it wouldn't be. But so many people who just don't get it would view it as different. And now I kind of want to see this happen. Like really bad. I I agree. I think it would things in time. Yeah. Team chaos. In a team chaos. Team chaos. All right. Um, Corbin, do you have any other questions about pitch valuation or any of the other shit we just talked about? Who are your Cy Young predictions for next year? I would say I don't know who my predictions are, but I would say a couple a couple sleepers, I guess, per se. Uh out there um i don't know you know how much of a sleeper he 
really actually is. But I really liked Dylan Bundy in 2020. You know, if he's really, if he was that good, that guy, he could be a real sleeper pick. He was really good in 2020. Another guy is Kenton Maeda. I think, you know, he's a good sleeper pick too. Uh, in the National League, um, you know, I want to say my boy, but he, you know, he did have elbow issues and we got to see how healthy he is. But, you know, if Lament is actually healthy and dominates, he's a great sleeper pick. Uh, but I'm hesitant to pick anybody from either of the central divisions just because, those, especially the NL Central. Oh, my God, what a waste of a division that is. Absolute but, shit show. Yeah. So. So you're telling me Pirates, you know, opening day starter Stephen Brault isn't going to be your Cy Young pick? <laughs> no. What? No. Not the, if the he was, all, unless he's also pitching against the Pirates as well yeah. for the Pirates. Then no. <laughs> <laughs> but the Brewers do have Brandon Woodruff, who I think is a great mm-hmm. sleeper pick. Brandon Woodruff is very, very good. Mr. Fastball. Yes. Uh, we would now like you to speak for 30 unprepared minutes about Tony Gonsolin. I love Tony Gonsolin. Hey, that's not unprepared. Uh, I love the fact that the fact that the Dodgers signed Bauer right when it happened. I got so many texts that were like, "So what happens to Tony Gonsolin?" And I was just so sad. I was like, "God damn it!" He was already. People were like, "He's not going to be the fifth starter." I'm like, "Why would he not be the fifth starter?" He's like their third best starter right now. Then they uh, signed Bauer, and now I'm just sitting here like, "Ah, he's not going to make starts," and I am sad. Well, I'm sure he will because of Clayton Kershaw's eternal back issues. But yeah, he, it, he won't be he won't be getting starts because he he won't be getting the type of starts you want, which is we're starting Tony Gonsolin. We'll be he'll be getting starts where it's like today we're starting Tony Gonsolin. Yeah, that's not the right way. <laughs> yeah. Today it's not every fifth day. It's Tony Gonsolin. It's uh, we need a spot start. Here's Tony Gonsolin. Right, right, yeah, which sucks. <laughs> Just looking at the Dodgers rotation right now is fucking scaring the shit out of me. <laughs> Holy crap. Tony Gonsolin is their sixth starter. Sixth. That guy had a sub two FIP last year and a sub two oh. ERA. Like he had great stuff. And I, he's he's their sixth starter. I get I why the it. Padres are going so hard right now to just build Pitching. depth at every position. I mean, yeah. the Dodgers right now, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller. This guy, Trevor Bauer, we'll see if he's good. David Price, <laughs> Dustin May, Julio Urias, and Tony Gonsolin. What the fuck? Yeah, their their rotation is crazy. Yeah, it's and it makes me upsetting. sad. It's, uh, it's highly upsetting because of who they signed. I wouldn't. I have was cared. about to say, let's let's like, get into that a little bit. Yeah, like if I wouldn't have cared if their rotation was six deep with those six guys, and I would still say like that's a great rotation. But they signed, goddamn. The most frustrating individual that baseball seems to have at the moment because Trevor Bauer is a goddamn head case. He is so frustrating and annoying and just (sighs) rewarding that guy with the highest average annual value in the sports history is just infuriating. It's, it's infuriating for a bunch of different reasons. And the thing that I think gets me the most about it is that all he really did was have a really effective marketing machine behind him. And that's kind of it. He had like, pitched a Cy Young. Well, you know, uh, he, he pitched a ago. Cy Young against like the worst competition in recorded history <laughs> in, a, in a shortened season for starters. 
Um, Just saying he had a marketing machine behind him is like... No, no, because what I'm trying to say is like... Well, no, because it is. He is a guy whose name is constantly in the news and, you know, is constantly in part of a conversation about baseball in large part because he does it himself and forces his name to be in there. And that's frustrating because, one, he is forcing us to listen to him. Uh, Two, he's showing baseball, hey, look, it's actually not that hard. Marketing is pretty easy. Uh, And three, if you want to tell me Bauer is a high upside guy in terms of on-the-field production, that's fine. If you're telling me he is worth $40 million a year on one shortened season and a handful of good starts elsewhere, I, 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 I don't know how you justify that. Yeah. I mean, the thing about Bauer is, first of all, he cheated. Like, yes, and he advertised tar. that he cheated. Pitchers use pine tar all the time, right? And that's fine. I got no issue with that. But the thing was, he railed against it for years against the Astros, saying that they were cheating using pine tar to, you know, buff up their stuff. He's like, he literally said, I can increase my RPMs by 300 on each pitch if I just start using pine tar. What happened? All of his spin rates on every single pitch jumped up by, guess what, 300 RPMs. Now, Trevor Bauer is the sort of one of the poster boys of the data revolution and player development and pitching. If he had said, I discovered another way to increase RPMs, I probably would have believed him yeah. because nobody else is really doing it. Like, but he He's didn't like the say face that. of drive along. Yeah, he didn't say that. He didn't say anything about it. He just, he, his RPMs just increased. And then they were, somebody was like, so you use pine tar? And he said, no. And I'm like, you're lying. Like, everyone knows you cheated. I brought it up with my boss at the Nationals, or my former boss, I should say, at the Nationals. And he's like, yeah, we know. Like, it wasn't a secret. Everyone knew he was doing it. And that was the part that bugged me the most is I don't have a problem with you doing it. You, like, if you're a pitcher, do it. Like, if you can get away with it, go ahead. That's fine. Like, whatever. But don't rail against it for years and then do it yourself and then just be like, oh, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then also just because he's a complete dickhead and treats women like crap. Yeah. Yeah. Adding in all the off the field issues. Yeah. Corwin. Yeah. I genuinely think a big part of why he signed with the Dodgers over another team, besides, you know, $40 million, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, I think he's still cranky over having Garrett Cole be the better UCLA starter and wants to face off against him one-on-one in the World Series and just proved his ego that he's the better one of the two. So you, what you're saying is you don't think the Mets are going to the World Series? No, I really don't think the Mets will make the World Series. That's a hot take. I'm, I'm willing to make that prediction now. <laughs> That's a hot take. Uh, I, I would say that there are two teams out West that are much better than the Mets. And yes, but neither of them it's... have Mr. Met on the on their side. Yeah, that's 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 true. The neither <laughs> of their owners are, you know, getting getting into it with people on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I I think the I think you're right. I think there is a little bit of Bauer that like he wanted to go to a team that was going to contend for a World Series to he just Garrett Cole. Yeah, he just wants he just and it's going to be so funny when Garrett Cole outpitches him in the World Series if it gets to that. Like, because he's a better pitcher. He just. It, I'm. I mean, I'm I, sorry. I think we're at. A, I think we're 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 looking down a possible timeline where um, Bauer gets dropped in the rotation. I mean, Bauer has two seasons under a four ERA. 
And I know ERA is not the end-all be-all of pitching statistics. We just spent a lot of time talking about that. But at the same time, as an easy, quick, and efficient method of getting a ballpark estimate of, how, of this guy's talent, two seasons under an, under a four ERA. That's One it. One of them was he pitched like 60-something innings and was cheating while he did it. And the, that's the other thing. is like his first start, the opposing team's just going to go, hey, check his glove. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna say that because it's so obvious right, they're just gonna be like, schedule yeah they're just gonna they're just gonna check and it's so a, i think we're looking at like like you know a non-zero possibility that uh you know tony goslin might end up pitching a comparable number of innings to trevor bauer if he goes to la and then just sucks it up which is not weird to it would not be weird to happen because there's very good hitters that the dodgers are going to have to face on a very regular basis that reside in san diego Yes, he, they'll have to play San Diego. I don't think San Francisco is a pushover either. Like they're no, not, not if they're, they're especially not if they're playing away from Candlestick. What is it now, Oracle? Yeah, they're like they're not a pushover either. Uh, you know, Diamondbacks and Rockies. Like, yeah, they're they're not great. But no, the Rockies have Aaron not. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. The oh. Dodgers open up the season with a four-game stretch in Colorado. Oh, God. oh, guaranteeing, God. you know, Trevor Bauer, a start, you know, at mile high, not mile high. Fuck me. Um, we're going to see Trevor Bauer get fucking rocked. And I am all for it. <laughs> I can't wait. It's three home runs in the first inning. Uh, we'll see him get pulled after two. I'm I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready for it, too. Yes. But I think the other problem. With the whole Bauer saga. And this goes back to something I said earlier. It, it's once again, baseball not putting fans in a great position. Yep. Because if you're a Dodgers fan, fuck. Yep. And I feel if this every time I see Raldis Chapman come out to pitch. It's like, I want the win. I'm not sure I want you to get it, but yeah. <laughs> I want it. Like, and, you know, every fifth day or whatever, Trevor Bauer is going to come out to pitch. And I'm not saying every Dodgers fan universally not understands who this guy is as a human whatever but the people who know are going to go well fuck i still want the dodgers to win Ugh, but i don't want it to be you and yep. no one wins in that scenario it's when when he signed i i texted my girlfriend i said i wonder how mookie bets and david price feel right now you just had a whole season where we were talking about racial justice issues and everything and you just signed a guy who's basically you know a internet conspiracy theorist who happens to be good at baseball like has Trevor Bauer commented on race he's never commented on race but there is that tweet of like the George Soros thing that's like oh I'm funding black hate groups and plus he was a big MAGA guy while uh, Trump was running the first time yeah and uh he was like oh you can't speak truth like that or people call you you know like uh racist or something and I was like yeah because it is Trevor (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) <laughs> like geez trevor i wonder why they're gonna say that uh but yeah i mean i'm sure like for them that had to sting you come here and you have these honest conversations and your teammates back you up on this stuff and then you just and, and there's trevor bauer i i mlb is done such a bizarrely poor job um well i guess it should be bizarre because they're terrible uh, when it comes to to anything race related, I mean, this, this, it's not just that Trevor Bauer has like he's this is the same guy who kicked BLM off the mound um, in his start against the Brewers after um, uh, was it Devin Williams? I was his name. Yeah, 
Devin, Devin Williams, Williams ha- had written it on so that Trevor Bauer could write in like uh, something fucking beer related, Bud, I think, because of a sponsorship deal he had. Like during the summer that we just had, which was full of, you know, conversations about racial justice. And he's like, I have a sponsorship. And it's like, oh, oh my God, like, dude, like, not only is this tone deaf beyond belief, um, morally bankrupt, you just failed to read the room. You're going up against a black pitcher who wrote something meaningful to him and 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 his people on the mound, and you said, I don't give a shit, and kicked it away. Who who are you? And if, if he's not going to care in that moment, he's never going to care. Yeah, I think we I think we can all agree that Trevor Bauer is the kind of guy to put himself and his issues so significantly ahead of that of anyone else's. Well, yep. and I'd, I'd also like to take a moment to shit on the Dodgers because David Price paid for all the Dodgers staff to get paid during the shutdowns and when the Dodgers had um, reduced staff during the season. And then they shell out $40 million a year for Trevor Bauer after claiming we're too poor to, to sponsor or to, to give like the minimum fucking wage job people that we have working here jobs for pay for the summer. And then $40 million right after the coronavirus season that you have to drop on a dick. Like where was that money when David Price was paying out of pocket for these people to have money over the summer? Like, Yep. Like what? What are we doing? It, yep. it, it's I'm a frustrating. You. It's su- it's such a frustrating issue with baseball, where the ownership yep. just shows you they don't give a fuck unless it's about money. Yep, it, I, it's like a complete I, I can't lack say of accountability you, that just drives me insane. Yep, I can't say no one else. is going to call them out in any meaningful way because of this shit that they seem to do at every turn. Yeah, it's I like, think it's that's. Like, Go ahead, Max. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think that's just such a good way to end it. You guys just nailed all the thoughts that you needed to nail. Also, because I have to go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, we appreciate you taking the time. This was a really, really great conversation. Uh, Do you have anything else, uh, anything you'd like to plug, any way that people can find you uh, before we get on out of here? Yeah, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, you don't have to. They're mainly just a bunch of dumb baseball tweets. But uh, it's at GreenfieldMax18 on Twitter. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I thought we had a really good conversation about pitching. I think this was the most detailed questions I've ever had about pitching. So I appreciate that. That we take pride really, in that. Yes, I, <laughs> you really put my knowledge to the test, and I appreciate that. Uh, yes, just go ahead and follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'll have another article about Max Scherzer on Pitcher List in this upcoming week. Ooh, all oh, right, yeah. that's awesome, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Max, yes, thank you for having you me. go. I have one final question for you. Yes. Team Nick Polak or Team Alex Fast? Oh, that's mean. Don't do that. Don't do that to me. Oh, they're both my boys. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to go ahead and wave the white flag and just jump over the bridge and kill myself before I answer that question. <laughs> I, I can commend that. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you to to Max again. In case uh, you missed it, you can check out his uh, Twitter. He is is uh, on Twitter as Greenfield Max 
18, no underscores, Greenfield, Max, 18. Uh, check out his upcoming article on Pitcher's List about uh, Max Scherzer and check out all of his other previous works. Dude is fucking smart. Uh, <laughs> uh, Corbin. <Jesus> Christ. <laughs> I got a lot of energy. We're getting ready. For so the Super Bowl is happening today as we're recording this, but it's happening like six hours from now, so we're probably not going to say anything about it until uh, after it happens. In the past, we've done some impromptu recording sessions after the conclusion of the game, but due to our separate locations this time around, it's just not going to happen. Uh, but check that out. Uh, for Thursday's episode, we'll talk about it once it's officially old news. Uh, and any, and all the other crazy shit that's going on in the NFL. We'll pack all of it in onto Thursday's episode, so keep an ear out for that. Um, Corwin, anything else before we wrap it up? Um. Oh, man. I feel like there was something I wanted to add, but now I forgot, and we're going to push it to Wednesday, just like, you know, the end of every episode. Push it to next episode. <laughs> yep. Yep, 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 yep. That's the way this podcast rolls. Well, all right. Thanks again to Max Greenfield. You can check out all his shit. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, if you want to follow this show on Twitter, you can follow us at JuicingPod. If you want to do so via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.